story told of a man stranded on an island. We like those kinds of stories, don't we? We watched Gilligan for years. Guy caught on an island, 25 years, no, no other human contact, surviving all by himself, uh, an island out in the Pacific, never, never traveled by. Well, one day a boat kind of off course travels by this island, sees this guy on it, and they rescue him. And uh, they're helping him off the island there, and they said, you know, I thought, I thought you were on this island all by yourself. And I said, I was. I said, well, notice there's, there's three houses up there on the hill. Why, why is there three houses? He said, well, the first house, that, that's the house I actually lived in the whole time I was here. The second house, that's where I worshipped. Guy built a church, worshipped by himself for 25 years. He said, well, what about the third house? Oh, that's where I used to go to church. <laughs> Some of you all take a while to catch up with that. The choir all got it. Now, why is that? They all got it right away. You know, folks, church is an interesting place, isn't it? Always a reason to leave it, even if you're the only member there. <laughs> you know, I guess probably coming more from the South, most of us have some, some history with the church. You know, we, we, somewhere in our background, we've been a part of a church. And what's amazing, or maybe I should say what is sad, is for how many people that history is kind of laced with some, some negative memories. We might look back on a, on a church and, and what we think of is, you know, somebody beating us over the head with rules. Or, or maybe we think of that place you go to just be literally bored out of your skull. Or maybe we think back on church and, I mean, figure this out. We think of people fighting, fighting, arguing. We left church with our, with our feelings hurt. Why is it that, that when God's people get together, they don't, they don't always act like God's people, do they? Do you know that's exactly what Jesus was thinking about the night before he died? We've been studying now for uh, three weeks. This is our fourth Sunday of looking at John chapter 17. John 17 is a prayer. As a matter of fact, the entire chapter, 26 verses, is a prayer. It's the longest recorded prayer of Jesus uh, in the New Testament, and it takes place in the upper room. He's praying before his disciples, and it's the night before he's going to be crucified. And, and he knows what's getting ready to happen to him the next day. And so we've kind of been thinking through this prayer the same way we would, you know, what do you think about, what do you pray for the night before a big event? I mean, we can certainly say the next day for him was a big event, wasn't it? And what, what were you thinking about before a big event? You remember, you have a big event in your life? Maybe you, were, maybe you were getting married the next day, having a, a baby the next day. Maybe it's a big job interview or a big game, big race, big test. What were you thinking about? What were you praying for the night before that big moment? You know, I'm, maybe I'm the only one that's uh, kind of self-centered, but, <laughs> you know, as I think about some of those big moments in my life and I look at what I was thinking about the night before, I'm pretty self-centered, you know, I mean, a lot of my prayer, a lot of my thoughts is, is about me. H how am I going to look? How am I going to do? What is this going to mean for me? What are other people going to think of me? You know, if you think about those big moments the next day, kind of focused on me, kind of focused on self. Well, as we turn and we look at John 17 and we see what was Jesus thinking and praying about, probably not a real surprise, but there wasn't a lot of me in his prayer. Now, that's not to suggest that it's, it's wrong to pray for yourself. 
Boy, the Bible challenges that very thing. Pray, pray, pray. Depend upon the Lord for those big moments, for those little moments, for all the moments in between. Yeah, we're supposed to be praying about ourselves and and what's going on in life. But we do learn something, we do see something about what was big, what was important to Jesus, that this is what He was thinking and praying about the night before. And and, and so far we've seen, the first thing we saw that Jesus was focused on was He was thinking about God and how God would be glorified tomorrow. You remember some of you that were there, you remember that, that sermon we left that moment saying, you know what, pray all the same prayers you prayed this week. Pray them just like you prayed them. But just add this. Lord, as I go to that meeting, Lord, as I deal with that person, as I deal with this failure, as I deal with this opportunity, I pray as I walk through that, I pray you'd be seen. I pray as people watch my life, they would see you and they would glorify you. Doesn't actually change what your prayers are, but just kind of a new perspective. Kind of ramps that prayer up, doesn't it? And everything we go through, because folks, everything you go through this week, If you'll allow it, there's an opportunity for God to be seen and glorified in that. Second thing we saw in Jesus' prayer was was He was focused on our eternal destiny. And not only our eternal destiny, but our present safety. That was the second and the third thing that He prayed about. Isn't that incredible? Here He is about to be violently executed the next day, and He's thinking about your eternal well-being. He's thinking about your present well-being and safety and in that prayer we saw what entails our safety in this world and now we come to the the end of the fourth part of his prayer and would you believe jesus in this last part of his prayer he reaches out and prays for believers in 2011 he prays for you specifically in this prayer let's look at that turn with me this morning to john chapter 17 John chapter 17. If you don't have a Bible with you, we've got some in the the chairs in front of you. If there's not one right in front of you, it's it's around. Just kind of look around and point. Somebody will hand you one. Want everybody to be able to to study along. John chapter 17. uh, What we have out there in in the seats is the Holman Christian Standard. That's usually what I read from and study from. Today I'm reading from the New Living. Just kind of reads well, very readable, so I'm using that today. Uh, John chapter 17, verse 20. It says this, I'm praying not only for these. Lord, I'm not just praying for these 11 guys in the room. Remember, Judas has already left. He had other appointment. I'm not just praying for these 11 guys. That's kind of been the focus of the prayer. In the prayer, he's praying for all of us, but he's, he's had focus, that 11 guys in front of him. But now he says in verse 20, Father, I'm not just praying for these 11 here in the room with me, but also for all who will ever believe in me. Who's that? That's us, isn't it? You know, Lord, these guys are going to leave the room, and what's it say? They're going to go out and give a message. They're going to go out and give a testimony. And somebody tomorrow, somebody the next day, somebody in 2011 is going to believe because of their message. He's he's now praying for us. You know, there's one other time in the Gospel of John, actually one other time in the whole New Testament, where, where Christ speaks in this kind of way, where He just kind of reaches out and talks about future believers out there. And in that place, we also see the message, the testimony that they're giving, and it's just a few pages to the right. Let's look at it real quick. John 20. Man, we're not even a sentence into this prayer and we're already leaving. But we're coming back. John 20, 
John chapter 20, look at verse 24. John 20, verse 24. It says, One of the disciples, Thomas, nicknamed the twin. Now, that's what they called him. What have, we, what have we called him ever since? Doubting Thomas. Yeah, he got another nickname. One of the disciples, Thomas, was not with the others when Jesus came. Jesus is already, the, 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 the death has already happened, the burial, he's already been resurrected, and he appeared to a group of the disciples. Thomas wasn't there. And so when Thomas gets there, the disciples say, Thomas, you're not going to believe this. Man, we saw him. He's alive. We have, we have seen the Lord. But he replied, I won't believe it. I won't believe it unless I see the nail wounds in his hands, put my fingers into them, and place my hand into the wound in his side. Well, that's kind of a harsh response, isn't it? I mean, he followed Jesus for three years. Jesus said he was going to be resurrected. I mean, the, the guy's telling him, these are not strangers. The, the guy's telling Thomas that Jesus is alive are his, are his best friends. Thomas has spent every day for the last three years with these guys. And look what he's saying, I won't believe you. Now, it might sound harsh, it might also just be real. Anybody in here been to a funeral? Yeah, we all, well, most of us have been to a funeral. Did you look for that person three days later at the grocery store? No, no, when they go in the box, that's it. You, you, don't, you don't see them again. That, that's, that's crazy. That doesn't, that doesn't happen. And, and, and if I went to a funeral with a group of friends, and a couple days later they said, Hey, Randy, man, you're not going to believe this. Sue's alive. She's at the grocery store. I'm, I'm not going to believe that, are you? As a matter of fact, I'm going to wonder what kind of weird, sick joke is that? I'm not going to believe it. And so maybe there's a part of what Thomas is saying here that is just very real. Let's see what goes on. Verse 26. Eight days later, the disciples were together again, and this time Thomas was with them. The doors were locked, but suddenly, as before, Jesus was standing among them. He said, Peace be with you. Then he said to Thomas, Put your finger here and see my hands. Put your hand into the wound in my side. Don't be faithless any longer. Believe. Now, don't you know that when they're in the room there together, Jesus has just appeared and, you know, the disciples are all in there. And all of a sudden, Jesus calls his name Thomas. And then he starts to quote what Thomas said eight days earlier. What do you think Thomas is thinking right then? A little uncomfortable, maybe? You think Thomas is maybe, oh, you, uh, you heard that, huh, Lord? You know, I, I, was, uh, I was kidding, man. I knew you were coming back the whole time. You and me, Jesus. I mean, that's, that's got to be an uncomfortable moment, isn't it? As a matter of fact, it really gets kind of worse. I, I kind of read it bland. It says, don't be faithless. Maybe your translation says, don't be an unbeliever. But in the Greek language, there is a, a strong, emphatic negative there. In other words, as it's written, it's to be read this way. Stop! Stop your unbelief and be a believer. You think, man, would, would Jesus get in somebody's face like that? Well, he did. We don't have to wonder it. Yeah, that was his message to Thomas. Maybe, maybe that would be his message to you today. Maybe when you get back out to the car in a little bit, or maybe when you're at home kind of changing clothes and getting ready to go eat the ham. Maybe there in a moment of loneliness, Jesus would say to you, stop. 
Stop your unbelief and be a believer. Let's see how it goes on. Thomas, Thomas exclaimed, My Lord and my God. I'll bet he did. <laughs> That'd be my answer too. Verse 29, then Jesus told him, now listen to this. You believe because you've seen me. Nothing wrong with that. You believe because you've seen me. Blessed are those who haven't seen me and believe anyway. Who's that? That's you and me. You know, folks, there's 11 guys in the room, and, and as the, the resurrection appearances continue to unfold, right before Jesus ascends, the total number of people that saw the resurrected Christ was a little over 500. There are 500 people in human history that can say, I laid eyes on the physical resurrected Jesus Christ. And those 500 people, man, they went throughout the world telling people that. And today, 2,000 years later, there's 1.5 billion believers walking on the earth today who never saw. I didn't see it. It's crazy. Nobody believes that. But here I am. I believe it because of the testimony of these. And Jesus says, for those who believe without seeing, there's a blessing. So the message that believers believe is that Jesus Christ is alive. That He is the Son of God. And when we believe in that, there's a blessing that comes with it. Eternal life in heaven with God, forgiveness of all of our sins, adoption. Man, we get to legally, formally be adopted by God. I am His child. That's not just a kind of a neat idea. It's reality. Those who believe without seeing, that's the blessing they have. And for those believers... Jesus prays. Let's go back now and understand, now that we know who and, and how this all came about, let's look at what he's praying. Back to John 17, I'll pick up in verse 21. My prayer for all of them, all that 1.5 billion people, all the, the thousand plus people in this room and the, I don't know how many people are up in the overflow. Jerry, do you know? A couple hundred? You don't know anything, Jerry. How come? How much? Fifty-five. Did I say that right? 55. So the 55 people up there, hey guys, uh, the, the 55, you know, Jesus, this is what he's praying right here, is that they would all be one, just as you and I are one, Father, that just as you are in me and I am in you, so they will be in us and the world will believe you sent me. Now you're going to hear that again. Very, very, very significant to the world Believing that God sent His Son Jesus, very significant to the world believing that God loves them, is the oneness that you and I have. Okay, verse 22. I have given them the glory you gave me so that they may be one as we are. I in them and you in me, all being perfected into one. Then the world will know that you sent me and will understand that you love them as much as you love me. Father, I want these whom you've given me. That's you and me. Listen to what he says. I want them to be with me. I mean, Jesus wants us to be in heaven with him, folks. He wants to spend time with you. He wants to hang with you for eternity so that they can see my glory. You gave me the glory because you loved me even before the world began. Oh, righteous Father, the world doesn't know you, but I do. And these disciples know you sent me, and I have revealed you to them and will keep on revealing you. I will do this so that your love for me may be in them and I in them. 
Now, there's a lot going on in that little prayer, that, those seven verses right there. But did you pick up the one big thing Jesus is praying for, for you and me? What he was praying for the night before he was going to be crucified? Oneness. Four times in just verses 20 to 23, he is praying about you and me being one. That's what Jesus wants for you. Now, you know what, folks, I think about when we come into church... Or maybe we're home alone and we go into prayer. We want things from God, don't we? I want His help. I want some answers. I want direction. I want provision. Maybe I'm answering big, big things. You know, like, is there a God? Why am I here? Does He love me? When we go before God, we want something. And now I hear Jesus say, what I want for you is oneness with my people. Now, honestly, I hear that and I'm thinking, eh, it's not so much what I was thinking, God. You know, I know what I've got going on this week, and that, that's not what I thought was going to be a, a big answer. I was kind of hoping you were praying for something different. You know, how does that make a, a difference for me? You know, folks, there are things we want from God. And you know what? God wants to give you those things. God has answers. God is a loving Father, and He likes to care for and to provide for His children. But God also knows you and I want some things that aren't always the answer we think they're going to be. And God has some answers for us that until we get these answers in our life, it doesn't matter what else we get. It's going to be temporary, it's going to be short-lived, and at the end it's not going to amount to a whole bunch. And so Jesus, in these passages we've read this morning, all surrounding His death, His resurrection, this is what He's thinking about, this is what He's talking about, there's two things that Jesus wants for you. First of all, Jesus wants you to believe Him. He wants you to trust Him as the Son of God, to trust that He not only died on the cross, but that He was resurrected. He wants you to trust that in Him you can have eternal life. In Him you can have forgiveness of sins. And Jesus wants you to be one with His people. Now again, folks, I think we look at those two things right there, and we think, I, I, that's not what I see as the answer to my life right now. Really, is, is that what I need? That's the two big answers Jesus has for me? As a matter of fact, some of us may in here feel like, you know, I got pretty good evidence that would suggest those two things don't work at all. You know what that evidence would be, don't you? People! <laughs> Anybody in here know somebody that calls themselves as a Christian? And you say, man, if that's the answer, I don't want any of it. Anybody know a Christian? If that's what being a Christian is, no thank you. Yeah, now don't raise your hand. That person might be next to you, okay? So don't, don't do that. Don't do that. Yeah, I mean, let's be honest. We look at believers or people who call themselves believers and we think if that's what Jesus offers, if that's what Christianity has, then I, I, I'm not interested. Or you look at that being one with His people, you know, it kind of sounds like the answer is going to church. You know, a lot of people hear that. You know what you, you, know what you need? You know what you want to fix your life? You need to go to church. Go to church. Change your life forever. But you know, when some people out there in the world, when they hear somebody say, go to church, you know what they hear? This is what they hear. You need to go to a building, sit in it for one hour, and be bored out of your mind. Change your life forever. Because that's how they define church, isn't it? That, that's what comes to their mind when they think of being told, you need to go to church. Or go to church, somebody will just beat you up there with rules. Or go to church, you can be reminded of what an awful stink you are. I mean, folks, that's why, why do they not go to church? Because that's exactly what they expect to hear. 
And so now you and I leave this room, we go out there and carry the message of Christ and say, this is what, this is what you need in life. You, you need to go to church. Mm, now, I said it was going to take faith, didn't I? You know, I, I tell you, the way I might answer some of what might look like practical evidence of why not to go to church and why not to try Christ is to remind people, Jesus didn't call you to look at people. He didn't call you to follow people. He called you to follow Him. And He conquered the grave. He conquered death and sin and Satan for you. He, he did that for your life. And that means... I mean, I think I can say that means he deserves your time and attention. He deserves you looking into this matter. Now, some say, well, I don't, even, I don't even know if I buy into that whole, that whole resurrection thing. I mean, I, that's just kind of the fairy tale of the day, isn't it? That's, that's what we're supposed to believe in. That's why we're here. You know, I'm not doing this today. I've done it on some other Easter uh, messages, but we've looked at really the historical, and listen to the word I use, evidence for the resurrection of Jesus Christ. It is not a blind leap of faith to trust in the resurrection. It is actually a very reasonable, very logical, very measured step of faith that we take when we trust in the resurrection of Jesus Christ. So he's worthy of us looking into him. He's worthy of being followed. Now, I think you'll find a lot of people in our culture, in our world to say, now, you know what, I'm all for the Jesus thing. I love Jesus. I think Jesus is great. Son of God, I can buy into that. But that church mess, no way. Don't know what he was thinking about when he put that one together. But you know what? Whether you like it or not, Jesus said to be a faithful, effective follower of him, you've got to be one with his people. The two things go together. There's no formula. There's no way of following him, believing in him, that is not tied to oneness with his people. So this oneness is a big deal. So what is it? What is this oneness that, that I'm supposed to be working at, that I'm supposed to be a part of, so I can faithfully and effectively follow Christ? You know, we don't use that word oneness a lot. It's kind of exclusively used for, for marriage, isn't it? We, you know, we go to a wedding and they're pronounced husband and wife. They're one. You know, we heard Jesus use the word oneness in describing himself with his father. The, the father and I are one. We, we know other New Testament passages add the Holy Spirit and we think of the oneness inside of the Trinity. We don't use oneness a lot of places. But if we think maybe about marriage and we think maybe about the Trinity, I think we can pull some ideas from that and kind of get a feel for what it is that you and I are supposed to be doing that's going to provide such an answer for our lives. So I put some, some words up here on the screen just trying to think about what oneness looks like. You see that first word there, involved. I mean, if you're one with somebody, you're involved with them, aren't you? And you're involved. You're involved together. You're involved in the same things. You're involved. There's an involvement with. You can't be distant. You can't be apart. You can't be uninvolved and be one with something. You're also faithful. And if you're one with someone, if you're one with something, you're faithful to it. You know, they can count on your word. They know you're telling the truth. They know if you say you're going to be there, you're going to be there. If you're going to be apart, you're going to be apart. You're faithful. Another word, devoted. You know, when I see the word devoted, I think of doing something because it's the right thing to do. Sometimes we do some things because what we're going to get out of it, right? The answer is yes, we all do. <laughs> yeah, there's a lot of things we do because of what we're going to get out of it. There's also sometimes we do something and it's not necessarily because of what we're going to get from it. It's just the right thing to do. 
And that's when you'd use the word devoted. They're devoted to that. They do that regardless of the outcome. Yeah, when you're one with something, you're devoted. Caring. Yeah, I mean, that, that kind of goes hand in hand, doesn't it? If you're, if you're one with something, you care about them, you care about that thing, you care about how they're doing. Uh, that, the word providing kind of goes with it. You know, when you care, if, the, if you see a need, you want to meet it. A, a physical need, a, a, an emotional need, a spiritual need. When you see that, when you're one, you want to you meet that need. Interested. If you're one with something, if you're one with something, you're, you're interested in what they're interested in. You're interested in them and their well-being. You know, I'm, I'm interested, this shouldn't be a big shock, in my wife. I, I'm one with her. I'm interested in her. I'm interested in the things that she's interested in. Now, that's not across the board. Sometimes that's hard. My, my wife, oh my gosh. She likes these movies where everybody dresses up in these huge puffy dresses and they talk in a British accent the whole time. They're awful. They're... I, Sense and Sensibility, Pride and Prejudice, Anne of Green Gables, worst thing ever in the history of mankind. <laughs> Anne of, amen, yeah. Anne of Green Gables, it's a movie, it's like 45 hours long. <laughs> now I'm trying to love my wife, I'm trying to be interested, I sit down, I watch it. Folks, I have a scar on my back from watching that movie, it hurt. It hurt to watch that. So, you know, being interested doesn't necessarily mean we all like exactly the same stuff. But, but you know what? There's an interest in being interested. There's an interest in each other and, and how we're doing. Uh, loyal. That's obvious, isn't it? You're one with something. You're loyal to them. You're not disloyal to someone and then can turn around and say, and we're one. No, you're, there, there's a loyalty with each other. Priority. You know, when I think of the things that you would say I'm one with, they're up here, aren't they? You, know, you don't say, you know, I'm one with you know, number 18 on the list. No, it, there, there's a priority of that, of that thing, of that person in your life. There. That's a great word, isn't it? When you're one with something, you're there. You're there. You're apart. You're with. I mean, there's that, that's back to that word involvement. You're there together and loving. I guess love and oneness are just absolutely synonymous, aren't they? If, you, if you're one, there's a love there. Now, folks, can you imagine with me a moment? Look at those words. What could the church be? What would the church be if every time God's people were coming together, whether it was two of us or, or 2,000 of us, when we're coming together, we're all kind of focusing on those words. We're all trying to be those words. We're all trying to do those words with and for each other. Can you imagine? The world probably really would start to believe that the Father sent the Son. The world probably really would believe that God may actually love us. You might wonder, well, my gosh, is there a church like that? Does that exist out there? Yeah, it does. There's lots of churches doing that. Now, I might flip back around the other side. I don't know if this is the right thing or the wrong thing for me to say. I don't think most churches are. I don't think most churches are trying to be or to do that. I don't know why, but they're not. I do think a lot are. Now, now comes the million-dollar question. Well, gosh, is our church doing that? Well, I'm... Pretty biased answer, wouldn't you guess? I mean, you kind of know where I'm going with that, right? Yeah, I mean, I think our church does. I think most of us, not all of us, that, that, that's not real. They say that every one of us is trying. We're not, not every one of us, but a lot of us. 
a lot that it's, I think, how our church can be defined. We're trying to be and do those words with and for and through and in each other. And folks, when you see a body of people doing that, that's what God wants for you. That then becomes the answer of how you walk through this world and all those other answers that you need. All those other things that you're seeking to be a part of. That's what God wants. So here we come before God. We come into His house. We come into Him in prayer. God, you know, I need this. I want that. God, when are you going to do this? When are you going to make that go away? And what God would say to you today is, you know what I really want for you? I want you for you, my son. I want you to have Him and all the blessings that, that come with Him. You know, folks, I really didn't go this direction this morning. But without Jesus, you do realize it's not just an issue of doing without those blessings. Without Jesus, you're in trouble. I mean, you're, you're in real, real trouble. Sin has had a devastating impact on you and your relationship with God and what that's going to look like in eternity. And so God says, man, I want to fix this. I want to solve this for you. It's in, the answer is in my son. And, and as you take on my son, I, I want for you, my people. I want you to be one with them. I want you to work at oneness for them. And when you get these things in your life, that begins to become the answer for all other things. You know, folks, our, our church, Colonial Heights Baptist, we're here to impact our community and our world for Christ. We believe God created us with, with purpose and significance. We believe we're here to make a difference, to do things that, that count for eternity. So we say, man, we're here to impact our community and our world for Christ. When we sing, it's to impact our community and world for Christ. When we give, when we go home and, and love inside of our marriage, when we go to work tomorrow, when we're making decisions, we're constantly thinking, how does every bit of this, where's the opportunity here for this to impact our community and our world for Christ? And we believe that impact is going to come three ways. Matter of fact, three D's, and you don't need glasses for it. And watch this, because all three of these things come right out of what Jesus is praying for you. To have an impact on our community and our world, we believe we need to help people discover Christ and His church. And as that discovery begins to take root, we want to help them then grow. And so that's discipleship. The New Testament word for growing is discipleship. We want to see them discipled in Christ and in His church. And when that bears fruit, you know what it looks like? A fully devoted follower of Jesus Christ in oneness with His church. That's what God wants for you. You know, a lot of us have come here today and we're at one with His church. We're there. We're involved. It's a priority. We're loyal. We're faithful. We're loving and caring. And, and we're receiving the benefit of others doing that in our lives. A lot of us have come in here today. Man, I have Christ and, and I have His Son. But you know what? What a reminder that even as Jesus was going to the cross... And as He was resurrected and coming off the cross and sending us into the world with a, with a message, this is what He was thinking about. I think for all of us that have that, this is a good reminder to think, hey, what kind of priority is this playing in my life? What, what, what am I doing so that really the answers I'm carrying into the world are Christ and His church? There's others that have walked in here today and you, you came in here and weren't looking for anything. You actually didn't have any questions today. Weren't looking for God to do anything Today, But maybe you're sitting there right now and you're thinking, 
wonder if that's what I need. I'm not sure I have Christ. I know I'm not at one with his church, not anything like what he just described. Maybe you're here today and you're thinking, man, I wonder if I need to be trying God's answers for my life. Maybe you're here today and you know that that's me. I came in here looking. I hear you. And I think that, that that's what God is saying to me right now. I need Christ. I need his church. You know what? We're about to conclude with a, a, a one last time of worship. We call it a song of invitation. When our congregation stands and sings, we invite you to take us take a step of faith and to come forward. When Jesus called people, he called them publicly. It's not a secret. It's not, shh, don't want anybody to see me doing this. Now, folks, it's actually something you want people to see. Because you know what? You, you want people to see where you're planting your flag. You want people to see where you are. I'm here. This is what I am. This is who I am. I'm not going to be ashamed of it. I want you to take a step of faith. Maybe you're here today and you want to come forward and there'll be pastors down here at the front. You want to tell them, man, I need a relationship with Christ. Or I need, I need to be a part of His church. And if that's where you are today, we had many come forward in the last service. We're praying for you now. Come forward and tell them that. Let them pray with you and talk with you for a moment about how you can get God's answers involved in your life so He can start pulling together all the other answers for you. May not be what you planned to do today, but you know what? Is it what God had planned for you? God's plan's a lot better. Will you trust that? Will you take a step of faith?